Welcome to C-Suite Radio. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. It's time for another edition of the Brett Allen Show. It's go time, you know and me. Join us weekly for the latest pop culture interviews from your favorite TV shows, movies, comedians, and so much more. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you, feel good. Plus, you never know who will drop by. What happened here was a miracle. Now, here is your host. I said, throw down, boy. Welcome to the night's main event. Brett Allen. Well, today we have a very special guest. I thought we were done with interviews for the holiday season and then we had the strike. Life has been busy, but we have a super special guest, like huge for the show, uh, Gianmarco Ceresi. I Just for laughs, uh, you have a new special on Netflix, Verified Stand-Up, which is huge. Congratulations. Thanks for your time. It's great to meet you. Thank you. Good to meet you too. I'm uh, happy to be here. Well, I have seen you like on every podcast, every thing. You're just a busy guy. So we're very lucky to have you. Um, you have done other things before, but the Netflix special is huge. I'm interested to know how this one was built in particular because it's you with other comics, but yet you're featured because you're on Netflix, which is really it seems to me like a badge of honor for a comic these days uh, to have that Netflix logo next to their name, which is awesome, by the way. Sure, I appreciate it. I mean, you know, these these uh, these kinds of things comes up come about because you know companies they they need to figure out a way to get like a really good hour of stand up while paying the least amount of money possible. So <laughs> what they do is they find up and comers and they they kind of get a little bit of each of us. And uh, uh, then they just slap it together. So honestly, this was, uh, it, it's, it's pretty crazy with stand-up in general, where it's, it's rare that they approve of the set or the hour and they go, that's a good enough hour for us to do. They just like you, they trust your work and they're like, give us 10 minutes on the day of, maybe send us a transcript, we'll check it with legal, but that's about it. And then the rest is kind of up to you to decide what stuff you want to talk about, how you want to navigate it, and and just hope you're in the right uh, uh, part of the lineup for it to work. Well, I I do mean this sincerely. I don't really consider you, though, to be an up-and-comer because you've done so many things. But I guess it's really a subjective term based on like more of like the industry side of things, really. Is that really... Yeah. Okay. I think of the term up and comer has meant everything to everyone. Uh, I, I I'm just glad I got the title before all my beard turned gray. So <laughs> okay. I think it just, it just, you know, uh, different parts of the industry. They, they want to, they, they feel excited to be like, Oh, we got them on the way up. And, and so as long as that window lasts, you kind of embrace it. Uh, and, and yeah, I agree with you though. 
I think doing stand-up for, I think, eight, eight and a half years. Uh, I'm, I'm out of the up-and-coming phase, but listen, I'll, I'll do whatever they tell You're me. like, I'll embrace it if it's going to get me uh, more they, they, exposure. They don't, do, they don't do compilations of old road dogs uh, struggling to get out of bed in the morning. Here, these 10 comedians couldn't believe that they're still alive. And, and so they just call us up-and-coming to keep us feeling young. Well, although that would be fun to see that. No, it's interesting. The reason well, I say this. that's what dry bar comedy is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which I know I've had a lot of comics who that's where they got their big special on dry bar. Justin Smith, you know, out of Tennessee in the Nate Land world. And we just talked to him a few weeks ago and he struggled to get Netflix. And now he's got that coming down the way, which... Honestly, having spoken to so many comedians, the vibe I get, and please correct me if I'm wrong, like Netflix is cool, but there are multiple other channels now for distribution for you to get your comedy out there, right? Well, for you, Just for Laughs is where you were picked, Up and Comers or New Faces, New was Faces, it? yeah. Okay. And then you were spotted by Pete Holmes and all these other guys, and you know the list goes on and on. So... But I feel like it's all earned so gradual. Yeah. Yeah. It's there. There is no, I think it used to, I know it used to be very different where there were moments like new faces, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you could get a TV show out of that. Yeah. Uh, CBS would give you a six figure holding deal for, for something. And that's changed. I think there are very, very few uh, huge, things that can happen that launch you into stardom. I think like still getting on SNL is a pretty big one, but like new faces, uh, even the Netflix set, the James Corden, the late nights. I mean, tonight show used to be the end all be all. And now, I mean, I did Corden, which isn't the same as the tonight show, but, but I think two people in my entire life have come up to me and said, I loved you on Corden. And it's (laughs) like, it's not like those shows you can tell. I, I sometimes look. It's a, it's a shitty thing to do, but but you know, uh, Jimmy Fallon before he introduces you will say, "So and so is going to be at Zany's Nashville this Friday," yeah. and you're like, "Okay, Zany's Nashville is maybe 300 seats." You'd think if the Tonight Show had a real cultural heft, mentioning one 300 seat show should sell out that night, but they don't. Maybe moves two tickets, four tickets, and. That just means that you have to do everything constantly and it's a long, deep saturation into the public consciousness uh, to actually elevate yourself as a comedian. And that's just. Yeah, it is. it's it is true, but you've earned your spot for sure. Well, it's interesting. I do have a sidebar question about that. It was funny. Adam Carolla said that in an interview when he first went on the Tonight Show or one of these things. Uh, you know, he was expecting the phone to ring off the hook. Uh, Joel Zimmerman said like Taylor Swift's phone rings off the hook, but you go on the tonight show or any of these things, your phone is Nate Borgazzi's phone rings off the hook. Right. But you go on there, but you make a fair point that back in the eighties comedy boom, Carson was the way into like TV and success or maybe early on, um, What's his name? Not Johnny Carson, but uh, Jay Leno. But now there's like all of these ways to 
become successful. What you've done, you've you've stand in your own right, but now it's up to you essentially to sell seats, right? You, a club books you, they'll do their fair hand of promotion, but really it's your job to go on TikTok, Instagram, whatever social you're prominent on and to try and move tickets, right? Yeah, I think I think you're uh, being more generous to the clubs. Uh, some of them do their fair share, um, and and some do. I I think there there are clubs out there that could sell out a weekend on their own merit, but uh, more and more the clubs are very dependent on the comedian promoting. And I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's there's certain markets where I I'll do well and the promo seems to work. I had great shows in San Francisco and Chicago, Toronto, and then Europe. And I think that's because of YouTube shorts. And then it's like, I'm in Philly uh, this weekend and I'm, I'm maybe, maybe uh, not the, the smartest choice. I'm doing five shows. This is a 320 seater. And, and again, you know, I just had a Netflix thing. It's very cool. But ultimately I sold a certain number uh, none of the shows are going to get canceled, which I guess is a victory. Uh, but then it's like 320 seats times five. I mean, that's a lot 1500, of seats. I mean, that's 1,600 seats. And it is, uh, it's, you just keep promoting. And you can only do so much. That I, you know, I could promote till the cows come home. I'm not selling out all five of these shows. Right. Uh, something Unless something, I did something crazy. You have occasionally a... Uh, my my opener Ariel Elias, who had the beer can thrown at her, like something like that happens, it goes viral everywhere. It's on the news, maybe, but otherwise, it's kind of a litmus test for this is how I sell in Philly, and and you promote, and it's I definitely did better than the last time I was in Philly, and and who knows, maybe next time I'll sell it all five, maybe it'll take three more times, but it's just it is a long, it is a marathon, a hundred percent. Well, that's and, cool. Uh, Ariel's opening for you. I remember that. Oh, not not this time. She used to. Now okay. she's headlining on her own. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. If, if I want Ariel, I got to pay a lot more. So hopefully soon. I love working with You're Ariel. You're funny. You're like, her fee just went up. Like, massive. It did? Yeah. We've tried getting her on the show, I think, after that event happened. And she was very, very busy. But keep trying. I'm sure she'll. She loves it. Yeah, job. yeah. We'll get her on eventually. We've had really good luck with a lot of great people like yourself. That's interesting. I like your honesty. Have you been to Denver Market yet? Like Comedy Works, Comedy Fort. So I've done I've done Comedy Fort, which was oh. great. Uh, yeah, that's uh, my club back. here. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I'm going back next year. Um, I I was doing Denver Comedy Underground. I had such good shows there. But I'm gonna do Comedy Works for the first time next year. Okay. And uh, you know that's one of those shows that I am determined to sell out um, because you know working that club is it's it's if you ask any comedian alive, kind of what are the top ten clubs in the country that is going to be one of them. She's the Mitzi Shore of the Colorado area, like a hundred percent. Like she, that is what she is, and I know a lot of comedians local here in, in Loveland where I live and that work the corridor. They do the brewery shows. They do uh, these local shows here almost weekly, but then they also play at the fort, which is great. And then of course, comedy works is really where a lot of them go to. So they kind of play this, they call it the Colorado corridor for comedy where they come from Loveland, go to Boulder, go up here, go there. 
a lot of people you've probably crossed paths with, but uh, I can't remember her name, but the woman that books those shows, they do refer to her as the Mitzi Shore of the, because she has a lot of power for who she brings through. And if you can get sure. passed by her, um, not for you necessarily, because you're headlining, but I mean, that's a big deal to get booked by her uh, and to play those shows. I'm sure you'll do fine. I mean, those clubs are great. They, they have great shows there. Sure. I mean, I, you know, I started in New York and I think the one benefit of that is like, there's a lot of different routes you can go. Yeah. You can, you can thrive in New York without being at the comedy cellar. Uh, uh, you can, you know, I am at the cellar. I'm not at the stand and I wish I was at the stand, but, but I think it would be really tough in, in a, a smaller scene that, you know, one or two clubs have that much power. Yeah. And, you know, you like gotta get into them. And that's really tough. That's really tough. I, that that's just a benefit of being in a, in a big city is that you don't have to be liked by, by everyone. Cause I didn't work New York comedy club for a long time just cause the booker just wasn't a fan. I, uh, you know, I, I tried doing what I could, but it's just like, that's the reality. And that's, that's, that's tough. That's the, yeah. I, I sometimes wish I was in a small, I started in a smaller scene so I could have more of a community. But on the other hand, that is the benefit of like being in New York. Yeah. So they say that you get good in New York and get famous in LA. Like, do you find that statement to be true generally, or is it different for everybody? Yeah. I mean, I think like it's, you know, it's not everyone who goes to LA gets famous. That's for sure. No, <laughs> but like, industry just goes to LA shows in insanely more than they ever do in New York. It happens now and then in New York. Um, there's a great comedian named Tina Frimmel who, you know, Jimmy Fallon was like at the cellar and saw her go up and, you know, two weeks later she's doing the tonight show, but that really happens quite infrequently. Whereas in LA you hear about network people and agents. It's just a different culture. Um, and it's such a shame because on the whole, L.A. comedians are generally weaker. Uh, there's good ones for sure. That's not to insult all L.A. comedians. But it's just a difference in priorities and, and the amount that you work at it and just the overall playing field. Yeah. But overall, I feel like you've reached a certain level of success, obviously, because you're doing a lot of things that a lot of people probably would want to do. Um, in particular, the Netflix special, obviously, which is huge. Uh, but you've worked your way up to a certain point where you're headlining clubs. Um, do you do openers or features these days for anything? Or is it pretty much just you going where you can go? Pretty much just me. It's okay. just like, that's just, it's just, I'm able to fill up my calendar, you know? Okay. I, uh, and I, I just like doing time. If if I have my druthers, I'm I, I'm doing an hour fifteen, hour thirty, and I I I really am into when I can doing a two man show or a one woman a one man show, um, and just keeping the show like you know uh, two hours. So that that's what I like to do. I I think it would be really cool. It's kind of on my vision board for next year to to open for a, a, a bigger comedian, like at a big theater or at a, you know, a, a arena, I guess that would be very cool. But otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm 
it's it's the me show and that's what i'm working on uh perfecting to the best of my abilities how long does it take you to get to a place where you have a solid set 45 minutes an hour uh like is it I, do you is it it's different for everybody yeah yeah i i just am always like writing and fine tuning and so i i don't really do i don't really have an exact math cuz it's not like i do an hour burn it um maybe i'll get to a place where i have to operate like that because i'll be you know ever more people will be watching so when i put this joke here that means it's burnt but for now it's just like i just keep building um it's a little bit chaotic i have all these different word documents where i try not to lose anything i really love and uh when push comes to shove and i have to do a netflix i i take the chunks that i'm really passionate about i figure out how they go together and then I just fine tune them and I really bring it to that next uh, level. Um, and these days, as I have more opportunities that are filmed, not that it's that many, but but I, I, I try to discipline myself to really, really get that, that joke or that chunk from a B level to an A level ready to film so that should the opportunity arise, I, I'm ready to go. Um, but ultimately, I just love working on new stuff. And once it kind of starts working, I go, great, that's 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 alive. I can just do that occasionally. And when I need to fine-tune it, that's when I'll go back in there and work out any kinks and, and add any any little jokes I can in between. And that's kind of my process. I love it. I think it's just such a creative art form, you know, as to what you do. And again, just having spoken with so many of your peers, so to speak, everybody's process is different, but yet it gets you to the same place, right? Some people bring the notepad on stage. Some people have concepts, some people have this or that, but yet it gets you to a place where you can get up there for an hour, an hour 15 and just murder a crowd. And I think that was just so cool. Uh, the math and science literally, I think behind like, a joke, which is so cool, man. And this Netflix verified standup, your material there is just really funny. And I mean, I've watched a lot of your things in preparation for a conversation, but really <clears throat> that being the most recent, I think it's just fantastic, man. Like the sky's the limit. I really do mean that. I appreciate that. Yeah, I really do. So now that you've got this, you're working on getting ready to tour next year. Are you ready for the new year? How has this year been for you? You're filling up your calendar, but are you ready to just launch for next year? I'm really uh, determined to uh, film an hour. It's, it's overdue. I have some stuff I really want to put out there that I haven't on any social media platforms because I'm like, I want to save it for something bigger. And, um, it can be tough because with social media, I, I try to post something every day and you have to kind of find a balance between creating short form content and work and material and building something that, you know, you know, builds even more, has, has a, a deeper thesis underneath yeah. it. And so I'm really dead set on in the first half of the new year, filming an hour and and start uh, deciding what is do I start the new hour? Do I do a B-sides hour and I, I just like fully get the slate clean and start new? Um, but the first, first and foremost, I just want to put out 
an hour or hour 15, whatever comes out. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's hard to articulate the goals in this business. The ones that I, I'd love to, you know, explore acting again, see if I want to do it as, as serious as I did when I was, uh, when I was in my early twenties, I would love to do some panel shows. I will hope my podcast, uh, the downside, uh, expands to a place where it sustains itself and I can have kind of a full team. But ultimately my, my overall goal is just to be a, uh, a strong standup to feel like I am, uh, have a process that really feels connected to who I am in any given moment and expressing the things I really want to express. You, you have to play the game. You have to talk about some topical things. You have to post, you have to, tour in places you don't want to, but I just want to keep fine-tuning it where I feel like my output is as connected to uh, my mind. Um, and and that's that's the goal, just to keep being excellent at a thing. Love it. You've got the podcast, which is great, by the way. I listened to a couple episodes. You. you have that. You are going to be touring next year. And the last question or topic I want to talk about, and I've been asking a lot of people about this, is the crowd work comedy boom, so to speak, on TikTok, Instagram. Do you have thoughts on that as far as like some people say yeah. it's great, some people say <laughs> you're selling a false dream of when I pay, so to speak, and come see you. I mean, I mean, somebody just put out an entire special on crowd work. Uh, some people have tried it and they said it just was horrible for them and they'll never sure, do it. Sure, sure. <laughs> I I understand comedians like frustration with it, but their frustration is as always, it's misplaced. You're mad at the algorithm, you're mad at what's popular and I ultimately think that if if you're going to be mad at what people are into, you're just a fucking crybaby. Uh you need to decide if you want to do crowd work, great. If you don't, that's fine too. Um, I think if you, yeah, some people will think that just people who are good at crowd work are great at stand up comedy. And then those people will buy tickets to Matt Rife and they'll find out for themselves that, you know, the truth. And that's fine. That's fine. Let them go on that journey. Um, I, I think I get bitter because I see comics complain about crowd work or mock crowd work in a way where I go, well, you just don't like improv or you don't like what this is, which is fine. And I get defensive, of course, because I post a lot of crowd work because I have to because I want to save my material for a fucking special. Right. And it's just a different thing. And some audiences go and they go, oh, it's all crowd work. I, I wanted more stand up. Other audiences go and they go, oh, I thought you were going to roast me. And it's just like <laughs> I, 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 I think the downside of it is, is that you have a lot of young comics who lean into the crowd work and so they never force themselves to make jokes that are top tier. If I was doing crowd work the way that I think some young comedians do now when I was first starting, I don't think I ever would have fine-tuned my jokes uh, because if I was ever struggling in a show, I would just pivot to crowd work. Nothing easier than that. Uh, and I do think that's a problem, but that's not about the existence of crowd work. I think that's more like comedy clubs or the tastemakers, whether it be the, the the Mitzi Shore of Denver or the big clubs here. They're the ones that have to be like, no, we're a comedy club and we want stand up here. They have to they have to not be 
uh, wowed by social media numbers and actually continue to base their lineups off talent. And I think a lot of comedy clubs in, in America have, have really given over to the idea of the comedian is it's going to be their job to get the butts in the seats. Yeah. And be, because of that, they've lost their ability to set a high bar. No one's going to the comedy club for the comedy club. They're going just for whatever particular comedian they follow. And and that will not be sustainable because what will happen is you'll get a bunch of social media stars who demand to get 100% of the door because they'll say, well, they're just here for me. They don't give a shit about you. You don't give me everything I want. I'm going to go rent a box and get 100%. And then the comedy club will have to start uh, regaining a foothold as as a tastemaker, as someone you trust. So all these things cycle, all these things shuffle, but to fight crowd work, to fight the the fun of a comedian talking to an audience member is foolish because it's always existed. Yeah, it's it's always been an element of of live entertainment. Um, and and you know I see great comics like like uh, Mark Maron or Gary Goldman com- complain about it. And I go, that's fine. You don't fucking need it. You sell out theaters. I have to fucking sell more seats at my Philly Punchline show this weekend. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I, I write. Know. I write jokes too. I got to do something different. If I came up in the 80s where just because you had five minutes of good material, HBO would give you a special and then you'd be a household name, then I wouldn't do crowd work either. Yeah, like if you were like ads. part of the cre- premium blend days or like, yeah. you know, the... Comedy Central. Yeah, that's interesting. I like it. Yeah, it's like Joe Coy goes to a comedy club that seats 200 people. He's going to sell the whole weekend out, double, triple over, right? But for those who, I think Nate Jackson was the one I noticed on TikTok during the last year or so that really started boosting up his crowd work. And now he's got a special. So, I mean, there's obviously proof positive that it works, but you're, I think you're dead on as far as like the, the generations are the ones that are complaining and that's okay because you know, that's just the way the business works. It's interesting. It's just the way it works. But I think like, I think when you're an adult going like, Oh, the kids are all wrong. You got to ask yourself like when I was a kid, what did I think of these adults? And, and again, like I I think there's lots of comedians that are, are decent at crowd work that fucking suck at stand up, but the truth will reveal itself. Yeah. You know, at, at it's more it's more important to just be elevating the people you think that are making great comedy, and uh, and and I think shows are fun. I like doing a little crowd work just to keep it interesting for myself. Yeah. Um. And yeah, that's that's my overall feeling. I've never met anyone complain about crowd work who was great at crowd work. I'll put it like that. Yeah, I know. It's like that. Yeah. I mean, I could think of like five, 10 people off the top of my head who you go see in a club, they could just do that for an hour and it would be fine and people wouldn't complain. Right. But the one thing I did learn early on about comedians is that clubs is where you work out material, try new things that might or might not be funny. You might pull out some greatest hits and then all of a sudden a year later, they've got a Netflix special or wherever Amazon Prime you pick and you see little nuggets here and there of that set you saw a year ago. I love it. Well, congratulations, man. This has been a really good conversation. I love you, man. I think you're the best. And when you come out to Denver, we'll come see you. 
Um, we come to that club a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, congratulations, of course, verified stand up on Netflix now. And then your what are your socials where people can connect? Sure. So you can find me everywhere. It's at my name at John Marco Cerezi. I'm literally on every platform you can imagine. And uh, my podcast is on, uh, you can watch on YouTube or all your podcast platforms. It's called The Downside with Gianmarco Cerezi. And Marco, thank you, my friend. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening and being a part of today's conversation. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. It's absolutely free. A major proportion. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. And remember, we care.